God's grace, peace, and mercy be with you on this Trinity Sunday, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. There is a way true change can happen in this world to dismantle racism, violence, and murder, and that is if more people believed in Jesus Christ and lived daily lives of repentance and forgiveness and let their hearts be changed by the Holy Spirit. Does that not make sense, my friends? I mean, it's happened to me. It's worked for me. If more people were changed in that way, racism would be under control and there would be less violence and murder. There would still be some because sin remains in even the most devout believer, but it would be squashed. A mostly secular world trying to grapple with sin misses the mark on the solution. The solution comes from the one who made us, who knows what makes us tick, and has donated himself to us to rescue us from racism and murder and all sin, as well as be an example of how to love for the world to follow. People want the Christian church right now to make, a pub, to make public statements on how evil racism is and that people should love one another. Well, we do. Every Sunday. Every Sunday, at the very least, the clergy and in some cases the laity of the Christian church proclaim the problem of sin and the solution for it found in Jesus Christ. The message may not be about racism in particular on a given Sunday, but when it comes to sin, it's all connected. Still, public statements can be helpful in our witness to the world that we're not asleep at the wheel, right? And we care about people. We care about the world. Because God cares about them. We reject and denounce racism because God rejects it. Our message is simply God's message to the world. We're not making this stuff up about loving your neighbor and all of that. Our message is not a man-made social philosophy or construct, despite popular belief. Still, if you want to know what our denomination's particular statement is about the current situation, go to www.lcms.org, and there you'll be able to read a public statement. Now, I haven't assigned any unheard text from the Bible for our readings today. I think today we ought to stay with some narratives that most of us are familiar with. And on Trinity Sunday, Genesis chapter 1 is regularly heard. What a good day to go back to the beginning, right? And hear, once again, where we came from and how we got here. That wonderful phrase from the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us make man. Let us. God is not alone. He's not unaccustomed to loving others. He is the Father. He is the Son. He is the Holy Spirit. They act together in creation. They consider together to make the pinnacle of creation. The man, and you may think, <laughs> the pinnacle of creation, you know, especially doesn't seem that way right now, but stay with me. Man in God's image, man who is not alone, man who loves, man who, re who will re relate to God and love him 
receiving his goodness and righteousness and, well, fatherly supervision, right? The man will respond with thanksgiving, praise, and worship to this Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in whose nature he is made. But it's not good for man either to be alone in his nature. As God in his nature is not alone, neither does God make the man in his image to be alone. So the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit confer together to make him a helper fit for him. But the creation of man and woman is only one part of a bigger thing going on here. Man is not to be alone even for his and her life and righteousness. To be in the image of God is more than just to reflect God's character and attributes. It's to receive from God the very essence of life and righteousness. Just as a mirror depends on a person to send forth a reflection, so Man depends on the righteousness of God as his own righteousness. It's not something that we make up in our own selves. And maybe this is a good time to remember what righteousness means. Because it's kind of a churchy word we we don't use in our everyday talk. When you are righteous, you have the quality of being morally right. You know God's morals are yours, They're true, and they both line up, right? You and God are in sync with your morals. His morals are yours. And you are justifiable by God. He's right with you. And you are upright in His sight. He considers you decent and worthy and true. That's righteousness in the biblical sense. And that quality was given to the first man and woman by God, right from the start, from their created, right from when they were created. Adam and Eve didn't create it in themselves. It was given to them, and they were dependent on God for it. It's at the heart at, at, it's at the heart at what it means to be in the image of God, see? The image of God in Adam is, most important, Adam's love of God proper fear and honor of God and his trust in God. Through his love, honor, and trust, Adam receives righteousness from God. To receive and reflect this, Adam is included in the divine fellowship. As the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit commune eternally with one another, when they create Adam, they invite him to participate in this divine communion. It's not like they make him and Eve and then say, okay, now go run and play and do what you want. We'll watch over you. We'll be around when you need us. No. God invites him and her into this communion, this divine fellowship. Living out of this divine righteous communion, Adam reflects the righteousness of God. It's getting a hard word to say over and over again. And is able to exercise true, good, and a perfect and beautiful dominion over the rest of creation. Remember, he was given the the charge to go out and name all the animals and stuff. Indeed, it's not good for Adam to be alone. Not only alone from other people, but alone from God. Were he to be alone from God, separated from God, he would no longer reflect this divine righteousness that he was given. You see where all this is going? 
Remember where I started. If more people today received God and His righteousness, we wouldn't be in the mess we are. Although it's not included in today's reading, we know shortly after Adam's creation in the image of God, he turned away from this righteousness, didn't he? He was deceived, he bought the lie, and he, he lied to God. He fell out of fellowship with God to look for his own kind of righteousness or dominion. And with that turning away came a loss of this righteousness, a loss of this image of God. And such would have been the destiny for all people, including you and me, to be without God, without righteousness, without his image. That is, to be alone and on the path of, to death, if not for the restoration we have in the Holy, in the Holy Trinity. We aren't, God from, we aren't righteous from God from birth. We're not born innocent, as many people believe. We're born separated from God's righteousness because of what happened with Adam. We are objects of God's wrath until He gives us His righteousness to us through faith and baptism. You believe these things apply to you? Then you have it. You know you have it. You have been made righteous by the Father, Son, and Spirit. It's not, you know, this Sunday is not just another, it's not some time to, to, for abstract racking our brains on trying to figure out how three persons can be one God. Today is a culmination of what we've been hearing and living since we started on the first day of Advent last year. It's a celebration of God's work to restore us to Himself. And restoring us, or restoring the image of God in us. And of restoring us to the fellowship and togetherness of the divine life. You are made in the image of God. Dependent on God's life, love, and righteousness. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit desires you to live in this image. So God, so God also has become a man. To restore you to himself. We lost our righteousness in Adam. We became alone without God, a people wandering the earth without hope. So God became a man then to restore us to Him, to rescue us, to bring us back into His divine life. Psalm 8 verse 5 says of the Son, You have made Him a little lower than the heavenly beings, which sounds kind of strange, doesn't it? When the Son took on human form, although He remained God, He didn't use all of His divine power or attributes, so that His human nature was, for a while, lower than the angels, the heavenly beings. It's very similar to what Paul says of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. Though He was in the form of God, He emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You got it. This is Jesus, my friends, the Son of God. He made himself to be lower than God for a brief time. That is, he didn't use all of his divine power so that he could suffer and die on your behalf. This is how much he loves you. He became like you and me 
in our human nature so that he could take upon himself the isolation, the condemnation, and the suffering of Adam and those in the image of Adam. He did not leave you and I to suffer forever. He became like you, bore the condemnation for your sin, and reconciled you to God. And he knows what it's like to be beaten unjustly by the authorities. Jesus knows what it's like to receive an unjust sentence in order to satisfy an angry mob. And he knows what it's like to be killed for who he is. He took all that for you and people too numerous to mention who've suffered oppression, violence, and died an evil death. So, after he's made a little lower than God, he is crowned with glory and honor. That is, rising from the dead, ascending into heaven, and sits at the right hand of God, taking on again forever the full use of his divine power, and even exalting his human nature to this divine exalted place. Jesus is crowned with the glory and honor of God, ruling over us with love and grace, having justified us and reconciled us to the Father. It's a good thing, then, that this message is renewed in our hearts and minds once again during such a dreadful time when the evil foe appears to be working overtime to get the whole world right down to the family unit to devour each other. But the Holy Trinity can still and is today a joyful feast. So partake in it like you are now. It's not an abstract idea about God. Rather, the celebration of the Trinity reminds us how God in His love and in each person longs to reconcile us to Himself. In fact, He works right now to do this by His Holy Spirit. In Christ, the image of God has been restored. Christ lives in you and me. Baptized as we are by the Holy Spirit, the Father welcomes you with love, feeding you the feast of salvation, the feast of victory to our God. This is why I say, if more people are restored to righteousness in the image of God, it will be better for the whole world and this terrible nonsense we're suffering under would be squelched to a fizzle. Governments with their laws and social programs, human activism, justice reform, and all these things we work so hard at appear from history to work to a degree, right? You know, they maintain some level of peace and security with varying degrees of progress and backsliding. But true change and reform comes through God the Father, His Son Jesus Christ, and His Holy Spirit. He changes hearts, which is where evil thoughts and deeds come from. He cleanses hearts, makes them new again, and people change to love others and stop living their old ways. And when that happens, we begin to stop devouring others with our words and deeds. And to do the opposite, build them up, encourage them, help them, clothe them and feed them, give them the word of God to this end, and for his statement of love to the world through his word to endure until he returns, 
May the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit be all the glory forever and ever. Amen. May His peace, which surpasses all human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ.